Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is Irish Illustrated Insider brought to you by Anderson, Augustino, and Keller, attorneys at law, with offices in South Bend, Indiana, serving the local community's legal needs with a diverse and innovative group of lawyers. Let their team be your edge on legal matters. Contact the lawyers at Anderson, Augustino, and Keller at 574-288-1510 or visit their webpage at aaklaw.com. Welcome to Irish Illustrated Insider, or I should say the emergency Irish Illustrated Insider here on Friday with Pete Sampson, Tim O'Malley, and Tim Priester, and we are moving up our podcast, uh, fittingly, 72 hours, which seems to be the, the the number that we're using here recently as Mike Elko decides to leave Notre Dame after one year and take a more lucrative contract at Texas A&M. He signed, Pete, He did he not sign a three-year contract with Notre Dame? Um but obviously that isn't worth much when uh, when somebody offers you a little bit more. So Notre Dame will try to dig out of this hole. It's unfortunate coming off the heels of the first January bowl win in 24 years, but now they have to quickly, you know, I don't know exactly what the timetable is, guys, on this, but you want to do this very quickly. You've got another signing date coming up. Uh, you've got a couple of defensive players that are considering leaving for the NFL. So you have to be... Uh, uh, pretty quick on making a decision on a defensive coordinator. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the contact period opens on a week from today, January 12th. So ideally, you would have something wrapped up by then, and it would be easy, especially if you're promoting Clark Lee or Mike Elston to the position, to just do that because um, there, there's no HR hurdle to be clear there. Uh, but Notre Dame does have a dozen defensive players signed. They Maybe we're going to land one more, uh, probably not now. Uh, but it's it's not a situation where I think they have to rush it. Uh, if you want to make more of an inspired outside-the-box hire, you do have some leeway to do that because of the early signing period where you don't need to make a panic move. But if system and continuity are more important, then I think you're promoting from within. And if I, if I had to bet on the hire who Notre Dame's next defensive coordinator is, I would put... A decent amount of money on Clark Lee. Yeah, I, I would too. And and you don't. You, I'm interrupting you, Tim. I'm sorry, but continuity. You know, you you don't always want continuity from from a staff, but in this instance, you certainly do. Uh, with what Mike Elko achieved, um, Tim, you remind me that Miami scored 41 points and Stanford scored 38. But still, what what Mike Elko achieved in getting this defense headed in the right direction, and you know, you have to be concerned about what this means with Tavon Coney and Jerry Tillery, two guys that are really key to the defense of seven next year. I think it's one way to consider swaying Tavon Coney, who we heard is if he can leave, would leave, um, is to promote from within and to keep his, or to keep his linebacker coach intact. The question I have for that, and I like Clark Lee and I like Mike Elston a lot. I've known Mike Elston. We've all known Mike Elston a long time and know Clark Lee briefly, but was Clark Lee going to be up for any defensive coordinator jobs in America 
if Mike Elston didn't leave Notre Dame. And that is one thing you have to look at. Yeah, I mean, probably not because he's Elko's right-hand man, I guess, maybe. Maybe next year, but, maybe but, the year yeah, after. But, but and if he would be not. next year, then, and he's a quality coach, quality coaches are quality coaches, he can jump in and do the job ahead of schedule. But I don't think anybody was thinking we need to make sure that Clark Lee is Notre Dame's next defensive coordinator. Maybe Mike Elko's the next head coach. He keeps Clark Lee. and you know, So you got to wonder, is it the best move? I don't know, but I don't think there is a best move right now because bringing in the guy that let's whoever whoever your defensive coordinator you want is, if you bring him in, you're overhauling the system again, and that's that's tough. Um, I mean, these guys many, that are going to be in a fourth system, then it, right, it, the seniors it, and fifth year seniors are going to have their fourth coordinator in three, three years. years. So maybe the best move is from within. Yes, maybe a short term move to find out. If it works, it's the best move. I think what it comes down to is there is no best move because you lost your coordinator you were counting on for <laughs> at least two years or three years. No, it's a, it's a terrible situation yeah. uh, that you're trying to make the best of. Um, there's not a, a home run hire to be made in year nine of a head coach that is just sort of going to be permanently under pressure now. Um, Ten and three is not going to change all the dynamics of the previous seven years. Um, so that's – and I do think that's one of the – sort of things that Mike Elko could have looked at in addition to making an extra half million dollars a year is it was going to be guaranteed at Texas A&M and I don't have to worry about the head coach getting fired in 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 short order, which you do at Notre Dame. Um, I'm not saying Brian Kelly is actually on the hot seat, but there is no greater guarantee than your head coach just signing a 10-year, 75 million fully guaranteed contract, which is what Jimbo Fisher got at Texas A&M. Now, what I don't really get from Elko's perspective is like, I don't want to sit here and say like, well, come on, what's, what's a half million dollars amongst friends (laughs) here. But he, Mike Elko, if things didn't work out here, if let's say Brian Kelly got fired or Brian Kelly went to the NFL, the two extremes where he just departs or he retires. I think Mike Elko has done enough through Wake Forest and one year at Notre Dame that he's, permanently making more than a million dollars as a defensive coordinator in college. He is going to be permanently in demand. Um, so I, I don't think that that risk of, okay, it's year nine, maybe is as big as what everyone would make it out to be. But that's not saying it's not a risk. I don't want to, uh, you know, as people are want to do, uh, totally blame Notre Dame, Jack Swarbrick, and the administration, or Mike Elko's a such and such and good riddance. I think somewhere in between, and there's a vast amount in between, there's reality there. Um, How many times, if you own a business, how many times are you going to be willing to renegotiate with a guy? I mean, beyond two? You want to keep, the guy keeps coming back and asking for more and you're just going to keep renegotiating with him? You're going to be an unsuccessful business owner if you do that i would be offended if it was if he came back a third time as we're told that's ridiculous it's absolutely ridiculous to come back three times now obviously you have to renegotiate because you're offering you a lot of money you did a great job for two months you were a frank Broyles award candidate for sure yeah things went poorly at the end he had some two deep good defensive games mixed into the three poor ones it's mike elko no one was saying three days ago that mike elko had a terrible end of the year so i don't want to start framing it that way (laughs) looking back you know, when you come back for that third negotiation, maybe somebody says, hey, November was 37, 33, and 38 points given up. So the two times we just gave you a raise in the last two days are enough for us right now. I can't blame them for that. If they really made him one of the top five or six paid defensive coordinators... Notre Dame was willing to. Willing to do that after year one. 
then I don't continually renegotiate with him either. But did, he, did he deserve to be the number one highest paid coordinator no. in the country? No. Well, then top five should be right. good enough, shouldn't it? Yes. He could deserve it in a couple years if they go 12-1. and one. I mean, this he did a great job. Right. Once. Pete, I saw you wrote down safety play, and that's the issue that if they hire Clark right. Lee, they've got to bring in a, a safety coach, a dynamic safety coach. Or you can go out and get a coordinator that's also a, a safety coach, but... Then it's a new system. Then it's a new system. And there system, are, right? I mean, it's like you're looking at Jim Leonard at Wisconsin, who's a defensive back by trade, or uh, Alex Grinch, who moved from Washington State to Ohio State. I don't think you're going to be able to hijack that now. Mm-hmm. But, again, defensive back first type of, of system. Um, I think the safety play element is critical to whatever Notre Dame does moving forward, whether that's at the coordinator position or it's just at a new position coach because, uh, you know, O'Malley, you brought up the point of you know, the Miami game and the Wake game, the Stanford game. I came away at the end of the season thinking more of Mike Elko as a coach because of how November went. Because it made me look at September and October like, wow, this guy was doing a lot with a little. Because as all three of us know, and anybody who really covers the team knows, Notre Dame's defensive personnel was not great. I'm not saying it was terrible. But it was not great. And at safety, it was bad. They have bad safety play. I didn't realize how bad the safety play was until I watched the Citrus Bowl again and realized, if you read the tale of the tape, that Jalen Elliott has no football instincts whatsoever. Yeah. So In game 13, starting year two. So So, so for the first time since 1964, Notre Dame safeties did not make an interception in a game. Uh, Brian Kelly, when I sat down and talked to him uh, one-on-one in Orlando, made the point that, we run a safety-driven defense with no safeties. That's a real compliment to my defensive coordinator because he was able to make that work. That's incredible. They didn't make. They never made a play. I mean, no. Julian Love. Julian Love had, and I know he's a corner, and it's it's that's different. You get more opportunities. Julian Love had more passes broken up against LSU than Jalen Elliott had this season. I, that's not even mildly surprising. I mean, right? I, you know, yeah, and again, yeah. that's a stat. You can yeah. turn stats to work however you want. It's it's two different positions, but we saw numerous, and I, I don't want to belabor this point. No, they'll because have different we know starting safeties next they'll year, have different no matter who starts. No, who, but who there, were, there were opportunities in the LSU game that were, it's just, my God, could you just <laughs> please make a play on the football? Well, I'm curious that your thoughts on this as a statement of, intent of no like forget the the renegotiation aspect of it for the money aspect of it i i really don't like the notion that notre dame the quote notre dame's just not invested in winning football (laughs) aspect of it unfortunately the circumstances of the last 24 hours give that camp some real ammo um this is still a program that paid a head coach 18 million dollars to go away and a school that just spent almost a half billion dollars on a stadium renovation. And they've got a new facility about to, they're about to start a new facility. So clearly they're okay spending money on some things, um, which makes me think that there was a, a sort there was a breakdown of trust with Mike Elko at some point on the third renegotiation. But how how far away from making the playoffs does Notre Dame football feel to you guys right now? It's, it, it, just illustrating that there is no good hire or no no sure hire because you could hire the best available defensive coordinator you think you could poach 
and you're still changing systems on the kids again. And I don't know what Clark Lee will be as a defensive coordinator. And I don't know what Mike Elston, I think Mike Elston would do a good job, but I wasn't thinking Mike Elston should be their next defensive coordinator one year ago. So why would I think it right now? I think he's a really good football coach, and he's going to be a head coach soon. But I just, exactly 365 days ago, no. we sat here and said, no, they have to go outside. Now we're saying they probably have to stay inside. <laughs> and oh, it makes sense. No, because they and brought something in. They brought something that seems like they're building now. I mean, we, yeah. we do well, have Clark to. Clark Lee is outside. Yes. In the, well, the spirit of Clark Lee is outside. Clark Lee is coached. <laughs> I mean, do we, re- we need yeah. to realize, Clark Lee is coached with Mike Elko for two seasons. Yeah. <laughs> One at Wake Forest, one at Notre Dame. And I will say when I mentioned that, hey, maybe Tavon Coney stays if you have Clark Lee or Mike Elston. Um, obviously, if, if Mike Elston's elevated, you hope Clark Lee stays to coach linebackers. You can't make the move because you want Tavon Coney to stay. I know he's <laughs> no, your best no. player, but like last year, I, I want to make that clear when I said maybe it'll sway him. Maybe it will. That would be a byproduct of it happening, and he is their most important player of the four that might have gone. Equinemius St. Brown was the least. Um, you don't make that move because of that, because remember, we interviewed everybody... Last year at USC, and they all said you absolutely have to hire Craig Hudson and Mike Elston, <laughs> and all the players said that, and we knew that wasn't true either. Yeah. But, well, players are aren't I mean, right. You don't virtually listen, you every don't time play players are players. going to say hire from within. They're not going to say I want the Wake Forest defensive coordinator. Apparently, that was why that was why uh, SMU went into a bowl game and did not want to play a bowl game because they didn't hire from within. Oh yeah. Well, it's, I mean, the players wanted Tyrone William to stay for a fourth year, so it's like they're they're. <laughs> Even though they're the closest to the situation, they are the worst arbiters of yeah. that kind of decision. Um, yeah, I just with the the Elko situation to Clark Lee, I I think that Clark Lee would at least be in the spirit of he Stan Sanford, somebody that wasn't just like a BK guy. Right. We need right. we need a, a comfortable working relationship I here. I think we're beyond that with Elston though, at this point. He's just a Notre Dame football coach for nine years now. The, right. He's he's the lone yeah. guy that. Remember, I know he's he, a BK the, guy, but it's he yeah. coordinated he yeah. coordinated a defense in two thousand five with Bob Diaco. So I mean, that, right. and, and well, we he, saw how he, he you know you could say Greg Hudson, but, yeah. but yeah, no, no, yeah. I mean they did a good job of solidifying things last year. But Notre Dame can't go back to the bend, but don't break. Keep the football in front of you defense. And the thing about Clark Lee, you may, you, I mean. I don't know enough about him. I don't think any of us right. know enough about him to be able to say, okay, well, he's going to continue what Mike Elko does. We have no way of knowing, Notre Dame has no way of knowing whether he can call the right defense at the right time the way Elko seemed to be able to do. And I, I started my column with this. The last series of the Mike Elko era at Notre Dame, LSU was 0 for 6 throwing the football. Oh, I'm not. When I give the 37, 33, 38, I am not saying they're better off without Mike Elko. I'm saying that maybe he shouldn't be the highest paid defensive coordinator in the history of college football simply because Notre Dame was pretty good on defense this year. I agree. Yeah, fair. I I, I agree. It's unfortunate. It's like the market's the market. Yeah. Like, and that's that's something Notre Dame is is going to have to swallow hard on at some point because they can look at it and say, "Wow." Mike Elko, $2 million. Are you crazy? Like, that's nuts. Well, five years from now, there's probably going to be five or six $2 million yeah. coordinators. And at that point, will Notre Dame be like, well, that's crazy. Five or six $2 million. And then five years from that, it's 15. And is, at that point, is Notre Dame going to be like, well, maybe we should pay $2 million. Like, it just, the market is moving in one direction. Will it blow up at some point? Maybe. But it seems like every time you have a discussion about that salary is insane, whether it's a head coach or a assistant coach, three or four years later, you, you, you look back and you're like, wow, that was a real bargain. Yeah. 
Do we have, I'm just throwing this out here, do we have any any knowledge or intel saying that um, Mike Elko didn't like it at Notre Dame, didn't like working for Brian Kelly? No, we don't. I mean, I, I think that I would take Brian Kelly at his word and Mike Elko at his word on this, on this point that for the most part, like he enjoyed working at Notre Dame. I will say that not everybody on the staff is like thrilled about 100% of the things at Notre Dame, like taking a home game and moving into Yankee yeah. Stadium. Well, um, they're, they're logic-based people. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> so I, I think there has to be some recognition of like, uh, what, like, what are we doing here? But I don't think that there was a personality conflict between no, Brian I did, Kelly nor and did Michael. I ever get that impression. I was no. just throwing it out there as and possibilities. I think, I think the other coaches on the staff really liked Elko, um, offensive, defensive, special teams. Like, I think this staff really got along, which is why my column had a shelf life of 24 hours. Yeah. <laughs> that, like, for Notre Dame to make the playoffs, they have to have a very highly skilled and highly functioning together cohesive coaching staff. And this year they had it. And it all went away. Yeah. You know, after the ball game. you know, Mike Elko strikes you or struck us as a you know real down to earth guy. Yeah, I don't, was. I don't know that I'm ever going to use that term again for any football coach. <laughs> right. I, I, you know, I mean, because I mean, did he make a down to earth decision here for an extra three hundred thousand dollars or whatever it or was? Half million. Yeah, and I, and Jesus, how long does it take us to make that much money? I mean, yeah. you know, I it, it's. It's crazy to criticize yeah, somebody. Yeah, I don't know like if you that. go by percentages of No, and I don't know. And I'm not saying that. I don't want to say that. Just because you have 1.5 doesn't mean you don't want another 500,000. Right. It's not like saying I have $20. I don't no, care I get that. 24. I, I get but it. I get it. It's hard to tell people what to do with their money. But I, have to, I, I agree. At, at some point, if I were Notre Dame, I would just be like, how many times are you going to come back to renegotiate right. in a 24 or 40 hour period? Yeah, and I do think it would be a situation where, let's say, he came back that third time and Notre Dame's like, fine. 1.9 and he was like all right i'll take it i think that there would be a breakdown in the chemistry on the staff at that point i think that you would have sort of swallowed a poison pill in some ways if you're talking about just sort of the staff working together and everyone trusting each other at um you know in the way that i, I think was the case last year it's unfortunately you know this is something mike elko said to us down in orlando two three days before the Citrus Bowl, I believe. I think it was January 29th. When he, in the press serious. conference. That's yeah. why I said 72 hours before, 72 right. hours after. Yeah, I think continuity among the staff is huge. I think personality-wise, you've got a bunch of guys that want to win and want to do what's best for Notre Dame. You don't have a lot of egos in our room. You don't have a lot of agendas in our room. So that has made it really easy. I think we just blended well and put a good product on the field. I mean, that all obviously looks completely disingenuous now. At, but at the time, Mike Elko had turned down Texas A&M at least once and had turned them down a second time, um, only to have them come back a third time. And ultimately, that is what yeah, got and, the deal done. You know, and, and let's be realistic here. Mike Elko's not sitting at the negotiating table with Jack Swarbrick. And no, no. His representatives are. But he's empowered them to, to yeah, make the decision. Yeah, but it's easy to hold that hard line when you're not there staring down yeah, people know, in the face. Yeah, I know. I know. And, and, you know, you try to hire the, the, the strongest strong-willed attorneys that you can, and he obviously had those guys working in his favor. Two of his players still pending decisions. Tavon Coney, who we mentioned him, Jerry Tillery. Um, and Josh Adams. Oh, oh yeah, two of Elko's players. Defense, I'm sorry, yeah. two of yeah. Elko's players. And Josh Adams, obviously. 
Equinemius St. Brown does declare. My feeling on St. Brown is the loss of him matters only because they're probably losing Stepperson. I think if Kevin Stepperson was back on Notre Dame's team next year, he'd be the lead receiver, and other guys would fill in. They wouldn't miss St. Brown, who was not to be counted on in talented guy, not to be counted on in crunch time, and tell me when he came through when it mattered most. Uh, in 2016, or in 2017, rather, he didn't. Yeah, no, I get it. I'm not saying he's I not get, a good player, no, I get he couldn't it. use him, but no, Kevin Stefferson's a loss, and St. Brown's just not going to be there. Right, and Notre Dame feels comparable to what you're saying there. Yeah, the coaching staff feels the same, and they and they would have loved to have Stefferson now, killing people next year, probably. Yeah, I mean, I, he, he's, the, he was the player. The St. Brown departure, it, I nonplussed would be too uh, cold about it, but... Definitely not worked up. I mean, he was. There was a big gap between. If you look at the four guys, Adams, Coney, Tillery, and St. Brown. St. Brown was fourth, and there was a huge gap between three and four. I'll, I'll say this, and you're speaking for the coaching staff right now. Yeah, just because we have the opinion, but you're actually no, talking about this, the coaching. This staff. is my very educated opinion yeah. on this one. So that's they. They will move on from this. That's not a big deal. Now, Josh Adams, I think a decision was probably going to be imminent. Could be by the time you listen to this podcast, that would be a blow uh, if he left. Um, and I'm not sure what he's going to do. But and Coney would be a blow. Tony would be a, a blow, too. For... So it, uh, but with, with St. Brown, I mean, just look at the wide receiver position coming back. It's it's going to be a bit of a rebuild. It's a good time if you're a four-star freshman coming in as Micah Jones, Braden Lindsey, um, Kevin Austin, and maybe Lawrence Keyes will be because uh, it's going to be – They'd be starting over in some ways, and you know you've got Chase Claypool, but that's it. And Chase Claypool is—he's been kind of a part-time player. He's shined brightly at times, but has vanished in others. And you mentioned Keys. Theoretically, the position—a position just opened up for him with St. Brown's decision, so to speak. But St. Brown—I look at St. Brown as as another one of those players that you hear me talk about where. He's he's taking the next step in his football career, so his football career can end sooner. <laughs> it's so hard. I, be, I mean, I'm sorry, but I be, but I believe because I don't think does Equinemi St. Brown play football like he has a passion to be a football player. No, he's take, he's, no. If he did, he would this would be the biggest blow in the world because right, a, a right. Force no matter who's he's, throwing the ball. He's making a move so his football career can come to a close sooner, and he can move on with his life. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know where to go. I know, I know you, I know you don't agree with which, it, but it's speak, a clever little angle, isn't it? Speaking of which, C.J. Sanders will uh, graduate and transfer as well. Yes. Uh, not a not a surprise that he'll be moving on. Uh, it is good for him to graduate in three years. That's a that's a nice effort for him. Yeah, yeah Vanderbilt highly involved yeah. uh, in that situation. I think it would be a surprise if that's not where he ended up, which uh, means he could be playing in Notre Dame Stadium next year. <laughs> That'd be fun. Yeah. <laughs> Also, Montgomery Van Gorder, Pete Makwa doing fifth years elsewhere. They were not really part of our our 85-man projection right, for right. 2018 anyway. So it's not like that opened up a scholarship. And there'll be a couple more. From there the will be a couple yeah. more. But right. I will say Montgomery Van Gorder was, and, and, and the great fun that Notre Dame had with him as a holder in the video and stuff, he was a damn great holder. Oh, and he a, was yeah. tremendous. And he was a very well-liked yeah. player on the team. Like He was the ideal guy that came in without a scholarship and ended up having a scholarship for four years to be a holder yeah. and a backup. He's a super well-liked guy on the team. So, But, of course, you're going to leave and want to try and play some football if you're him because yeah, he, he I, is at that level where he can play at, at Youngstown. That was something that we had heard uh, from the previous, I think, 
it might have been the Sanford yeah. take that Montgomery Van Gorder was good enough to be a Mac quarterback. Um, so if he dropped down below that right. a level, he should be able to play there, which is you know kind of a cool opportunity there. You can just go out and sort of play football and have fun with it. Tough news for Notre Dame basketball. Bonzi Colson out, had surgery this yesterday. This all happened this week. Yes. Bonzi Colson has yes. announced Mike Elko. The week's not oh, over. The week's no, not it's, over it's not. This weekend's going to be a thing. Well, Matt, Fer- you know, Matt Farrell goes down with an injury the other night, and O'Malley's looking over at the bench, and everybody's crying yeah, and hugging. hugging and he's I thought thinking, it was over. Holy cow, his season's <laughs> over, too. But fortunately, it's not. But he has a serious left ankle injury that will almost undoubtedly Keep him out of the Syracuse game. But Bonzi Colson had surgery. I asked uh, Mike Bray after the game, you know, because they list him eight weeks recovery. And so I asked, you know, usually we hear two to four weeks or four to six weeks. Is eight weeks the minimum? And he said, yes, yes, it is. So that makes it very difficult. I mean, I think they're hoping that he gets a solid week of practice before the ACC tournament starts. But at that point, it could be too late. Um yeah, if, if they're 9-9, nine and nine, um, you might need Bonzi to help you win an ACC tournament game, and he might not be able to, being two weeks out, but he would probably be able to help you if you were to sneak into the NCAA tournament yeah. because you're two weeks removed from that time. And, you know, he, he's out there taking jump shots and everything. It's just a sad situation that he has to have surgery. He could play. He could play against Syracuse, but it would eventually go. It's a stress fracture that he, is going right, to be a problem. Right, and ultimate, he ultimately, regardless, was going to have to have surgery yeah, to so put a screw in a fifth metatarsal or whatever whatever it was. But wasn't it interesting the other night that, and, and we're not saying for a second that this translates when they have to go on the road for nine games because we, I, want, I want you to express your theory, O'Malley, when, when you talk about the Syracuse game this weekend, but... Um, you know, they had great chemistry the other night, man. They were they, they were moving, they were moving the basketball, they played with confidence, they went for it. It was good to see. It was a pretty cool, you know, and it's kind of a typical Bray team reaction, though. You get some adversity and you can see him pulling them together saying, Hey man, we're right where we want to be. This is this is how we thrive. We're gonna take care of business. And they played great the other night. It was a game we thought they'd win. They won in a much more spectacular fashion than I thought they yeah. would. I thought emotion would carry them. Farrell was off to a really good start. He DJ Harvey. This is a big for his development. Um, and this happens to Mike Bray teams. Like this happened to Bonzi Colson. Zach August had to miss the game to Georgia Tech in Bonzi Colson's freshman year. Nordim was a contender, but you thought, boy, that Zach August is this going to be more than a one game suspension? And Colson shows up, and he's just the best guy off the bench they had in the Bray era that year as a freshman. So Mike Bray will find a way to win some games, but this schedule is ridiculous. Um, Unfortunately, they have won two of their three easiest home games already, and I think they could have won them maybe. I think if you had put a better team in there, they could have beaten them on a motion and with Bonzi Colson that first game. They have four winnable, realistically speaking, anyone can beat anybody in college basketball, but four realistic winnable road games at Georgia Tech, at Boston College, at Wake, and at NC State. NC State is... Better than they looked against Notre Dame, but they've suspended their point guard for felonious assault. I mean, they beat number two Arizona. NC State I know, beat Arizona. Man, they were bad. They, they were awful. They were a they bad were, basketball they were, team. And they didn't the want to night. play once they were getting killed. You know, and you mentioned Boston College, but obviously Boston College is a better, I mean, we've seen already a better basketball program. I just now. mean winnable if they could No, win. no doubt. No <laughs> doubt about it. And then you have BC at home and um, Pitt, who is really down at the dumps. Yeah. You're not sweeping those four winnable road games, though, so you're going to have to find an upset somewhere. And, and what the loss of Bonzi does means that you cannot win. At Duke and Virginia now, because you're probably working to win at Duke and Virginia anyway. Yeah. Um, Mike Bray is two and nine at Syracuse. They are two and zero oh, coming off a big emotional win. Matt Farrell's not going to play. Syracuse is coming off a road loss and coming home 
at one and one If you guys happen to be driving by the desert and see a big building, go in, find the point spread, and put it on Syracuse. And see if Notre Dame can be 3-1 and one after they travel to Georgia Tech next week. Because they are going to lose at Syracuse. Didn't I, say that, didn't I say that when Notre Dame went to Michigan State? I did. Yes. The basketball? Yeah. You're, yeah. Yeah. You're right. All right. It's so, going to be like that game. But that's okay. If handicapping uh, advice from O'Malley. My point was, if they can beat Georgia Tech next week, they'll be 3-1, and one, which is what they would have been with Bonzi Colson. So then you start your season. They would have been 3-1 and one with Bonzi Colson. They yeah, but boy, the immediate schedule after that is very, It very gets difficult. brutal, yeah. and they got to find a way to win nine. Nine's the, what gives you a chance, and I know people are listening now. Some are thinking, sure, they could do it, and some are laughing that they couldn't conceivably win nine in this league, but... It'll be kind of, I mean, it's kind of fun to, yeah. to watch a Mike Bray team try to reinvent itself, and, and few are better at it than he is. I don't, I don't think it's enough to finish, I don't think it's enough to finish 9-9 nine nine in the conference without Colson. but. You made a good point. We had him at 10-8 and eight with him. Yeah. So that's, we had him 10-8 with, with him, him. Uh, to think 9-9 nine nine with him. I don't, does Notre Dame make the NCAA tournament? I don't. I don't think they will. I would say no. But I'm not out of this. World Mike Bray has been though. Mike yeah. Bray has been doubted before in difficult situations. This may be, however, the most difficult situation. Just because Farrell comes back against someone doesn't mean he's Matt Farrell either. Right. I mean, he's right. going to be chased he, around he, by Louisville guards right. eventually. He and that's badly sprained yes. that foot. I mean, ankle. it's like this. This reminds me more of the 2013-14 season when Jerry Grant got suspended. Better chemistry, maybe, with this team though. With the they're they're used to winning because that team. Nah, I don't want to put guys on blast, but those guys had never won anything. Right. You know, these guys are have a winning culture at this point. You know, they they come back, they beat Duke in the home opener mm-hmm. of the league, and then it just bottomed out. Right. Fell apart from there. I mean that. And that, that team had Zach August, Atkins, Demetrius Jackson, Connaughton, Beecham, and Vesturia off the bench. And like, Derek Sherman. But those guys weren't that playing were, They either. weren't those guys. They weren't yet. those guys. I hear Zach August saying, couldn't be counted on for anything. Right. Demetrius Jackson was in his own head and couldn't be counted on for anything. Those guys weren't those. B.J. Beecham was not the no. next couple of years. Vesturia's yeah. a steady guy that got to start. You're relying on Eric Atkins Connaughton. and Derek Sherman. Connaughton was, yeah, a good... That's that's the guy that you think would have helped them be not. I'm just saying, 12, like, but. how that would that team have beaten this team? I don't know, but it would have been competitive, so which, is, th- which is which is a which is the, which is the problem. Good right. call. That's a good all call. three of us say right now that they're not going to make it. I don't the think they'll make, I don't think they'll make it, but I think they'll play pretty good. I, I love that. I love that because I, you know, I'm just really curious to see how he reinvents them. And we actually we got a hint of it. A couple people asked me before the game, "Well, you think he's going to go to the burn?" I said. No, I don't, because I don't think that that's the route to go with the personnel that he has. I mean, with Bonzi Colson, you would go with the burn. So, you know, I mean, slow down and make it a half-court game, but... You don't think so? No, he won't go with the... They don't have the... No, he doesn't want... He doesn't want want to do it. I'm not saying he won't, because the other way may not work. He may have to against... At Duke. He said the other night, everything's on the table. Yeah. I guess I kind of think that they will, because they can't... Playing up and down the game, no, I think you got to let them play with, with six players. I, yeah, but I think he feels that they can play more of an up and down game. He likes the idea of Harvey being a four, which is what Condon played as an undersized four. Yeah. Not that he's Condon, but yeah. boy, I mean, he played really well the other night and very aggressively. And so I think right now Bray feels like up tempo, let him go for it is the route the right route to go, he may feel differently after the next two road games. Yeah, I mean, it may just be, it's going to be a combination of approaches. He he said, because he was asked about identity moving forward, and he he talked about what he liked right now, but he said, hey, everything's on the table. Could be fun to watch. They're going to get hammered in some games, but those games only count as one loss, and they got to get kind of lucky in the close games at home where you can upset 
Louisville or Florida State or something like that. Because you can beat anybody at home. Anybody at home in college basketball. I'd like to point out the team we saw Wednesday night in South Bend hammered or beat number two Arizona. That team is awful. <laughs> and they beat Arizona. I love <laughs> the there's an NC State uh, Twitter account on 24-7 and they were charting uh, NC State shooting percentage on layups. Oh and God. it wasn't very good. They were bad. They did, it was like 50%. They had a field goal, one field goal in the first nine minutes of the second half against Notre Dame without Bonzi Colson and Matt Farrell. Oh, man. What a week. All right, well, that's it for segment one. We'll move on to questions. As you might imagine, we have a lot of them next. Irish Illustrated Insider. Irish Illustrated Insider is brought to you by Anderson, Augustino, and Keller, Attorneys at Law, with offices in South Bend, Indiana. Serving the local community's legal needs with a diverse and innovative group of lawyers. Let their team be your edge on legal matters. Contact the lawyers at Anderson, Augustino, and Keller at 574-288-1510 or visit their webpage at aaklaw.com. Burning up the board, segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider. We start with a question from Wash ND. How would you grade Jack Swarbrick's last two moves? The Syracuse game being moved and now allowing Mike Elko to leave because they wouldn't match his offer from A&M. I mean, diff- definitely different grades. <laughs> I- I'd say that the Shamrock series is like a D. Um, Nonsensical. Yeah, yeah. just like... Just How is it, it only on? a D? Yeah. <laughs> just like, <laughs> like, like a D it means F. Okay. It's like you turn in a paper and it's like, what, you did the wrong assignment kind of thing. Um, you know, the Elko situation, C minus. Um, it's not, I mean, it's, it's, it's bad for Notre Dame next year. If you, if you want to, like, divorce the, well, how much money do we really want to put into the coaching staff? Do we have sort of an academic balance to uphold um, at Notre Dame? Those aspects, I guess you can sort of factor into it, but in terms of, did Notre Dame get closer to making the college football playoff or farther away from making the college football playoff? They got a lot farther away from making the college football playoff by Michael Elko leaving. So it, it sort of gets back to that that line that I, I hate is that, well, Notre Dame's just not that invested in winning. Well, Texas A&M clearly is more invested in winning than Notre Dame, and they got burned by Texas A&M. Grading on a curve... The Elko situation's a triple F minus because they just yeah, blew well, up exactly what they had planned. Well, for they also games. got yeah. much further away from winning a national title with the decision about Syracuse being played the Yankees. Yeah, State. but you know you can overcome that. That's Notre Dame could just win the game. Yeah, okay. the Yankee State. Yeah, I got you. Um, it's I, a dumb, I mean, I'm not uh, you right. Know, it's a nonsensical you, move, but it doesn't make a, any it's sense. An unforced error. That's an un- yeah. This like, is there was there, there was no Texas A and M forcing you to move the game like. That there was there was like no other party involved. You just like did that unilaterally. It, it, it same, makes no sense. I'll use the same term I did before. It was a selfish decision on Notre Dame's part. Yeah, right. Where we can't know every aspect of the. I mean, we I think we've drilled down pretty far. We can't know every aspect of the Elko negotiation. Right. You know, you can't. I feel like we know we most of it. That's the important no, one. We we yeah. do, but I'm saying that at some point, and you're Notre you're Notre Dame. At some point, you don't. Yeah, you know, how did right. this? I mean, he came back and he was like, "I would like to travel to the office by hot air balloon every day." Like, I mean, we don't know that, but I think you know, just from a financial aspect, if if Notre Dame, Notre Dame has the money to pay whatever it wants, sure. it chose not to, due to some reasons I understand. 
based on sort of like the nature of the school. And I, I do think that oh, that's always going to come some, into play, though. At some point, you have to have people who want to be here. If Mike Elko keeps looking at Texas A&M, clearly he doesn't want to be at Notre Dame as much as you thought that he did. And that's a miscalculation on Notre Dame's part uh, as they went through the renegotiation. But um, Because, you know, I mean, if, if he no. turned it down twice, then he's now in complete control Yes. With his people and saying, "I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear it. We're done with that." And yeah. he obviously didn't do that. To bottom line this though, we have said for more than a year, this is a two-year minimum investment that Jack Swarbrick made in keeping Brian Kelly and hiring new coordinators and strength staff, and a big part of that just took a massive hit. The biggest, I mean, I the strength say, and conditioning program is a pretty big. Deal I think that too, for you could argue everything. that Elko is. 1A to Harry Heastan in the best yeah, assistant I, coaches Brian sure. Kelly has hired. So that that hurts. I guess what would be the... the what if Matt Bayless left and Elko stayed? I mean... Because we don't know. It's too much of a... I guess November collapsed too. I can say anything about November and it ruins everybody's I reputation. Think, I think the Matt Bayless hire is... <laughs> right? I mean, what? Yeah. Yeah, they're no better in November than they were last year. The, so the, Matt, the Matt Bayless hire is sort of like oh, well, we uh, more than doubled our win total from last year type of thing. You were going from almost nothing, like a dysfunctional strength program, to something that's really good. Now, is it the best one? No, but it's good. But I think there are a lot of good strength coaches. I don't, yeah, I agree with that. And I don't think you can compare a strength coach to a, a game day football coach. A game day football no, I don't coach either, has to, he's got to make decisions opposite of the guy, the guy opposite the, uh, the field. A strength and conditioning coach... But for two months, yes. the strength and conditioning coach was the story in Notre Dame. Yeah, that that's going to get a really hard look in the offseason, uh, hopefully by Brian Kelly, because what happened in November, as much as they protested it at the time, it happened. They wore down. They ran out of gas in November, and like you're you're never going to make the playoffs if you have to do that. Uh, Hoffie 111, how much more attractive is the Notre Dame defensive coordinator position now as compared to last year? That's a good question. More? I mean, it's definitely more attractive. Um, I would think... When you factor in the 21 guys, they have signed 12 of them being... Right, the guys coming back. I mean, the the defense that you had this year and the percentage of guys that are coming back, Tillery Coney, Mm -hmm. you know, going one way or another, but... I think they can attract guys. It's just we're not sure that... It's just not the ideal situation that they have to attract guys. Those are two different subjects right now. Yeah. All of us saying, like, I don't know if they should bring in an outside hire because it upsets the apple cart. Well, I think they could bring in a pretty good outside hire, but is that better? Those are different those are different things, but there's a lot of guys that would like to coach the defensive talent coming in and the young defensive talent, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean it's like are you gonna to, to make an outside hire, in some ways I think you have to restart the clock that they started last year on the three year investment in Brian Kelly as the leader of the program. I don't think made a lot of people happy. I, I was just going to say I don't think there's an appetite for that right now. So it's is the roster better today than it was last year? With Coney and Tiller. Let's just say they stay because it's depressing the other way. This yeah, I mean, I think, so. I, think, <laughs> I think the answer is yes. Because, I mean, look at how we viewed the roster at the beginning of last year. Defensive tackle, total mess. Safety, total mess. Cornerback, we felt might be good, weren't sure. Linebacker, we thought would be pretty good. Um and if Coney's back, it could be your better. two best linebackers yeah. return. Um, meanwhile, the sophomore class of Aquara, Kareem, Dalen Hayes, now are juniors when they should be making a huge jump forward. Yeah. 
the, I think this roster is much better. Um, unfortunately, it's the it's the whole year nine. When's this going to come to an end? Type of situation. I mean, I think Brian Kelly has sort of said, like, you know, you don't really coach an Oregon for more than ten years. When you get to the year <laughs> nine, you're like, we're uncomfortably close we're, to that now. We're certainly at that stage where you're counting years now. It's, I mean, that that comes up frequently. That's that's probably not a that's not a great thing. You know, I, I mean, Elko, Elko's a pretty damn good recruiter too. I'm kind, I'm yeah. kind of go reverting back to our previous subject, but I mean. That's a huge loss there as well. Yeah. I, I mean, that's a good thing to spin into the next question. Up to this point, Notre Dame has, from Head Designs, Notre Dame appears to have put in early work to land a banner 2019 defensive class, especially on the defensive line. How big of an impact does Elko leaving on Notre Dame's ability to land the players it started strong with? Do you see any risk of losing some of those kids to well, to Texas A&M? I, no, for on the A&M part. <clears throat> Probably well, no, no, pro, no, comma probably. Notre Dame doesn't go head to head with Texas A and M. No, frequently. but they have like one of their top defensive line prospects. I think Hunter Spears is from Texas. Um, their top safety prospect that they really, really want, Brian Williams, also from Texas. Well, that early signing Michael period will be all over bad. Guys. <laughs> that early signing period before every coach and coordinator leaves is ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> I think mean, I, I, you know, think I, can, yeah, I think, I think. Certainly, coaches enjoy it once you have all those kids signed, and I think even we, I mean, we're we're kind of happy those guys are signed and you oh, just yeah, kind of yeah. move into a. Uh, Everybody's happy, but them. Yeah, <laughs> right. I, you know, I to, I kind of feel like all this stuff with Elko would have happened just on February eighth instead. A and M would have just waited. Yeah, well, I guess they did not, at a much smaller scale. Kerry Cooks left the day after signing day. Alford left did, right yeah. after. Yeah. So it's like. I think people blame the early signing cool period yeah. and like it exacerbates it a little bit, but I don't think it changes the fundamentals. Right, that... it makes it easier because now is the time a lot of coaches start looking after the Bulls. Yeah, I think it's know. better for the programs who have to hire because then you have some time to make it up before the late signing period. Right, um, opposed to everything coming after February and you're screwed. You have no, you have no real out at that point. But it's Elko on our recruiting podcast. Me, Lloyd, Sinclair. We all sort of listed our recruiter of the year on the staff, and we all went with Mike Elko because um, of you know what he's done really at, at every level of the defense. Linebacker needed a total rebuild. They did that. They needed elite talent at safety and corner with Griffith and Derek Allen. I think they got that done too. You know, defensive tackle. I like Jason Adamalola a lot. Um, I think the other guys that they have at that position are just good. Um, I like got, Franklin more uh, more than that. But it's like, you know, they sign sort of a Jamie and Franklin regularly. Yeah, um, okay. I don't think that they signed Jason out of Malola regularly. They didn't sign the Jamie and Franklin in 2015. I can tell you that much because that's where the hole no. is right now. Yeah. So it's... Uh, Senior defensive tackles coming back. Elko, I mean, Elko was yeah. a freaking dog on the recruiting trail. Yeah. He did a great job. He worked his butt off on it. Um, so that, that one... That it, it hurts Notre Dame in, in multiple multiple ways. It's just a, it's just quite a way to start the new year yeah. podcast. Uh, yeah, and our final yeah. question is from Port ND. So about that safety play in twenty eighteen. <laughs> the question made me laugh right away, but you know what? It'll be better by default. How's that? Just throw them out there. Roll be two better, new guys. It'll be better out there. because there are will be new players. There'll be better players. Yeah, I I. I 
I hope Gilman is as ad, as, as advertised because they need a somewhat veteran. He'll be a junior. He's a you know, yeah. rookie of the program, but he's a somewhat veteran presence back there. I mean, I think that's why Nick Coleman won the job so easily because he knew what he was doing. And he was coachable. It was never a good sign when Nick Coleman went from being the fifth best corner to the no doubt starting safety day one of spring. That's a bad sign. It's not like, wow, this guy just must be the most natural safety of all time. It was, no, we need someone. I, I'm going to, if, if there aren't changes at safety next year, I refuse to do tail of the tape. I can't, <laughs> I can't watch, I, I can't watch another game like I did uh, on, on the flight home. Can you at least do like offensive from, tail of the tape? I'll do offensive tail of the tape. They won the game and you don't want to watch it again. How about no. tail of the tape on running plays? Yeah. <laughs> Against. <laughs> I'll I'll do we'll break well, it down. I'll do tail the tape I'll evaluate on third and long passing plays again. <laughs> All right, I'll I'll evaluate Jordan Jenmark Heath against okay. the run. That that was enjoyable. Yeah, so you have Jenmark Heath, Aloha, Aloha Gilman, uh Derek Allen. I mean I think I, I think Houston Griffith is, is gonna be we're differ on that, I guess. But just next year you have You think he's gonna be at safety? Yeah, because yeah. next year you no, have I'm five saying, corners that could I'm play. Just saying, so. I no, my whole thing on that is I I wouldn't discount him at corner because I think that he's got corner fundamentals. We have nine months to discuss the safety play, but <laughs> I think Julian Love, I guess, will just stay and be the most dominant corner. Yes. I guess we'll yeah. just take a corner and win the Tharp Award. The Tharp award. You so have to I guess stop we were wrong pleading. about that one. You have to we? stop pleading for him to move to safety. Well, I'll tell you what. If you move to safety, their safeties would have been better. So You <laughs> <laughs> can't be wrong on both counts. That's, yeah. <laughs> but it, that's, that's a funny question by Port. They will be better because uh, they're going to have better players. I like that. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a good, a good analysis there, O'Malley. Um, all right, well, that's it for this week's emergency podcast. I guess we'll see. If you hear from us again in short order, it might not be good. But uh, we'll be sort of podcasting as necessary moving forward here at least once a week. Maybe we'll be back on Monday. Could have draft decisions from Tillery, Coney, Adams, Hoops at Syracuse. Maybe news. there will be a defensive coordinator uh, higher by that point. Unlikely, but... We had so much fun with the last podcast while still in Orlando. Yeah. Looked that was different. fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah room... It takes me back room to room 1208. 1208. I missed, I missed 1208. I thought we were going to people banging okay. down the door at 1208. Pete said the number so much. It was... <laughs> that was my room. Yeah. I'm glad people didn't just decide to show up. <laughs> you so graciously gave up my room number multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for, you got out of there okay. But um, so maybe we'll be back Monday. We'll see. There's obviously stuff to talk about in our game football <laughs> forever and ever moving forward. Uh, so until our next podcast, whenever that may be, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, I'm Pete Sampson. Thanks for listening.